Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. Um, there are quite a few great deals on ammo, gear, and guns today on Palmetto State Armory site, so it was hard to choose this morning's deal. Normally, I push AKs or ARs out to you guys, but today I have a Sentry Arms Centurion BP-12 semi-automatic bullpup 12-gauge. It is regularly $499.99, but it is currently on clearance and in stock as of recording, <laughs> for $229.99. In addition to that, Walkers has teamed up to make a limited edition PSA Patriot Series electronic ear pro and glasses combo kit so you can rep the best in the game while being protected. That is on sale for $10 off for only $49.99 today. Both of those links will be in the show description notes. Please check them out and, and get, get you some today. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation Monday banning Chinese citizens from purchasing land in Florida unless they are also a U.S. citizen or permanent resident. We don't want the Chinese Communist Party in the Sunshine State, DeSantis said at a press conference. We want to maintain this as the free state of Florida. The Republican governor highlighted concerns about the CCP making a concerted effort to acquire farmland throughout the United States, including in Florida. Food security is also national security, and so we don't want the CCP in charge of any food production, DeSantis said. China owned 352,140 acres of U.S. land in 2020, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is about 1% of total foreign-held acres. That was prior to COVID. I'd be super curious to know what that number looks like today. Canadian investors owned 12.4 million acres across the, I'm sorry, 12.4 million acres the same year, the most of any foreign country. Why does any foreign country own American farmland? I don't understand it. I know there's probably some smart person reason why that would be a good idea, but I can't seem to think of one right now. Senate Bill 264 also bans citizens of Russia, Iran, Syria, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela, labeled countries of concern, from owning land within 10 miles of military bases and critical infrastructure like airports and power plants. But only residents of China would be banned from owning land anywhere in Florida. Dozens of Chinese Americans testified against the bill last month, fearing it could lead to discrimination. Others worried it would prevent them from buying homes if they haven't yet become lawful permanent residents. Once they passed it, I won't be able to buy a house here in Florida, H-1B visa holder Shua He said. Tallahassee Democrat, the Tallahassee Democrat reported. It's part of my American dream. Other states, such as Texas, are considering similar measures, and Senator Tom Cotton has introduced national legislation calling for a full ban on those associated with China from buying real estate on American soil. 
DeSantis signed two additional bills aimed at reducing China's influence in Florida. SB 258 blocks access to apps like TikTok on government-issued devices and networks. SB 846 prohibits Florida state universities and colleges from accepting grants from foreign countries of concern or participating in partnerships with universities based in such countries unless specific conditions are met. The three bills both passed both chambers of the Republican-controlled Florida legislature with bipartisan support. DeSantis said he hopes all states follow Florida's lead. We really need to have a unified effort in this country to deter the CCP's ambitions and their influence. Part of that is asserting our economic sovereignty. It'll be really interesting if he finally decides to announce running for president. That's a very firm stance to take against China, and no one else seems to be talking about this kind of stuff. So that, in stark contrast to the other candidates, will be pretty fascinating. The White House press office barred the Post, New York Post, from attending President Biden's only daytime public event yesterday, as federal prosecutors are nearing a decision on criminally charging his first son, Hunter Biden, for tax fraud and other crimes. The New York Post has closely covered the president's ties to his relatives' foreign dealings and first reported in October 2020 on files from Hunter's abandoned laptop that link Joe Biden to ventures in China and Ukraine. Biden, who falsely characterized the Post's reporting as Russian disinformation, appeared with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to talk about airline policies in the White House-adjacent Eisenhower Executive Office building. Biden ultimately took no shouted questions at the venue, which houses the set of a fake White House, and about 50 theater-style seats for reporters, about 20 of which were empty on Monday. In the same room this February, Biden chose to answer the Post's query about whether his family's links to China compromised his ability to steer U.S. policy. He fumed about the lack of polite reporters and stormed out. The Post has the fifth largest news website by U.S. readership, or fourth, when excluding aggregator MSN. It is the nation's second most read newspaper online, and as of last year, the Post had the fifth largest print circulation. In a Monday email, however, White House staff said, we're unable to accommodate your credential request to attend the investing in airline accountability remarks on May 8th. The remarks will be live-streamed and can be viewed at whitehouse.gov. Thank you for your understanding. We'll let you know if a credential becomes available. The email does not claim that the exclusion is due to space limitations, an excuse that was used until recently to justify the press office's mysterious pre-screening of reporters let into large presidential events, which under past administrations were open to all journalists on White House grounds. In June of 2022, 73 journalists representing nearly two-thirds of the White House briefing room seats signed a letter demanding the end of the mysterious pre-screening process for events, but the unprecedented access restrictions remained in place, and press officers refused to explain the criteria for selection even to leaders of the White House Correspondents Association. 
On Friday, the president declined to take reporter questions by falsely claiming he would host a major news conference that afternoon, two days after White House Republicans, I'm sorry, after House Republicans subpoenaed the FBI for a file that a whistleblower said alleged that Joe Biden took bribes. We talked about that. Instead, Biden sat for a Friday night interview with MSNBC host Stephanie Rule, who gently approached investigations of the first family's business dealings. While there's no ties to you, your own son could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency, Rule asked. Biden replied, it will not, because he has done nothing wrong, and I'm proud of him. There actually are extensive ties between President Biden and his son's dealings, and congressional Republicans have subpoenaed bank records of Biden family associates and reviewed bank suspicious activity reports in an effort to track the flow of funds. Speaking of Biden and Hunter, it would appear that Biden is setting the stage for pardoning his son as his DOJ decides to weigh a potential indictment stemming from the federal investigation. Devine's comments come after the Biden family addressed the possibility of his son facing charges due to, or I'm sorry, during a rare sit-down where he dismissed the chance that it would have any impact on his tenure in office. That mythology of Joe Biden that's been around for more than four decades, which is that he's a lovely family man, moderate Democrat, lunch pale Joe, working class Joe, the poorest man in Congress, and a wonderful family man full of empathy because of the tragedies in his own life. That's what he's playing on, Devine said. I think the end game is that he's setting up, framing this sympathy card so that when it comes time, perhaps in his lame duck period, he will pardon Hunter and Americans will forgive him because they will say, well, Hunter was just a drug addict and Joe just loves his family and he's been through enough tragedy in his life. Leave him alone. But Devine was quick to argue that Biden's response was premeditated and part of a broader Biden strategy to frame the probe as a political witch hunt. It's obviously rehearsed. The plan is for Joe Biden to just remove himself entirely from the influence peddling operation that he was involved in with his son Hunter and his brother Jim, pretend that it has nothing to do with him and that Hunter is just being persecuted in a political witch hunt. That's probably the only way he can go, considering he's lied about his involvement since before the 2020 election. And it will work for him with those Americans. And there are still many of them who believe that Joe Biden, that his only sin, is that he loves his son too much. The report claimed Friday that tensions between Hunter Biden and President Biden's aides over his legal defense have led Hunter Biden to hire a new lawyer with a more combative approach. Without, mind you, consulting his father's legal advisors, a former top Democrat of Justice, um, I, Democrat, Department of Justice, man, Spokesman noted that the younger Biden going rogue with his legal decisions and perhaps pushing past the guardrails that the president's advisors would have him follow could be a legitimate headache for the White House. I think from his point of view, he feels that he's done nothing wrong, Devine said. Remember, in his laptop, he says he gave 
have to give half his money to his father that was basically acting as the bag man, that he was acting as the bag man for their operation. I'm sorry, I've completely butchered this because I apparently was too tired and have so many typos in here. It's hard for me to actually read my own notes. Um, Okay, let's try this one more time. In his laptop, he says he gave, had to give half his money to his father, that he was basically acting as the bag man for the operation. So he just wants to save himself. Hunter is also facing a congressional investigation into his overseas business dealings and a legal battle in Arkansas over child support for his four-year-old daughter. Perhaps Joe should be fighting for the soul of his family rather than the soul of the nation. What's Jordan Peterson's token line? Clean your room. The New York state judge presiding over the criminal hush money case against Donald Trump issued an order yesterday restricting Donald Trump from posting about some evidence in the case on social media. Judge Juan Merchant largely sided with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg by limiting what Trump can publicly disclose about new evidence from the prosecution before the case goes to trial. This is not unusual, you guys. Uh, There's a lot of uh, right-wing individuals that came out with tweets and stuff yesterday saying this is a gag order and stuff like that. In the discovery process, as you get evidence handed over to you from, from the discovery process, you would taint a jury if you started putting out that information. So it's, it's not unusual. Uh, the order says that any materials and information provided by the people to the defense in accordance with their discovery obligations shall be used solely for the purpose of preparing a defense in this matter. Prosecutors had stressed they were not seeking a gag order against Trump, a 2024 presidential candidate. They just wanted to make sure that he did not misuse their evidence. The defendant has a constitutional right to speak publicly about this case, and the people do not seek to infringe upon that right, their filing said. Trump's lawyers argued in a filing last week that the DA's proposed order would do exactly that. The People's Proposed Protective Order infringes upon President Trump's First Amendment right to freely discuss his own character and qualifications for federal office and the First Amendment rights of the American people to hear the president's side of the story. Trump has maintained Bragg and the judge are biased against him and his lawyers filed paperwork last week seeking to have the case transferred to federal court. That request is pending. I have always had the assumption that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is somewhat of a weakling. Um, I stand formally corrected. The Facebook and Meta founder won gold and silver medals at his first Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament in Redwood City, California, to the shock of many in the martial arts community and probably more widely. That's because he was competing against 10-year-olds. No, just kidding. Um, The 38-year-old tech billionaire said he took up an interest in the sport early on in the pandemic and posted his win on Instagram, saying, competed in my first jiu-jitsu tournament and won some medals for the guerrilla jiu-jitsu team. Zuckerberg received support for his new hobby from several high-profile athletes, former UFC champion and student of anger management. Conor McGregor commented on the post, yo, fucking awesome, Mark. Probably fucking awesome. <laughs> Brazilian Bernardo Faria, the five-time world jiu-jitsu champion, 
set of Zuckerberg's win, amazing. Half guard, arm bars, triangle, super cool. Other celebrities also congratulated the tech nerd turned athlete on his success. U.S. TV host and former teen heartthrob, uh, Mario Lopez, commented with three fire emojis. I don't know why any of this is relevant, but um, other famous people have also taken up the sport. Ashton Kutcher, who took up jujitsu more than a decade ago, has a brown belt in the sport. Uh, Jason Statham and comedian Russell Brand have purple belts. Peaky Blinders and Venom star Tom Hardy also competes in the UK and has won competitions in Wolverhampton and Milton Keynes. In a stunning moment of sacrificing liberty in the name of perceived safety, a Texas House panel advanced a bill on Monday that would raise the minimum age limit to purchase semi-automatic rifles days after a mass shooting at a Texas mall left eight victims dead. The Texas House Community Safety Select Committee approved the bill 8-5 to five on Monday, with two Republicans joining Democrats in voting for the bill. If enacted, HB 2744 would raise the age required to purchase semi-automatic rifles in the state of Texas from 18 to 21, a move that many other states have already adopted. The bill would face an uphill battle in both Republican-controlled chambers of the state legislature as well as pushback from Governor Greg Abbott, who said last August that such a law would be unconstitutional. Biden has reiterated his calls to enact stricter gun laws and ban assault rifles in the country, but that decision is ultimately left to Congress. Once again, I asked Congress to send me a bill banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, enacting universal background checks, requiring safe storage, ending immunity for gun manufacturers. I will sign it immediately. We need nothing less to keep our streets safe, he said in a statement. Volunteers from the domestic terrorist organization Moms Demand Action was in attendance at the committee hearing Monday, as well as some families of victims of the Uvalde school shooting. Today's vote is a crucial step in the right direction, but we won't give up. We will keep holding lawmakers in Texas and across the nation accountable until life-saving measures like HB 2744 become law. (sighs) In other gun news, the Indiana Court of Appeals ruled Monday that an Indianapolis man accused of having a Glock switch attached to his handgun was in possession of a machine gun, a decision that sets a precedent for how the courts will handle cases going forward when a person is accused of having the firearm accessories that are showing up more frequently at scenes of gun violence. In its decision, The appeals court upheld a trial court's machine gun possession charge against Devin York, ruling that the switch device attached to the Glock 19 pistol police found during a search warrant in 2022 functioned as a machine gun. York was one of three men inside the apartment during the search. He was not the target of the warrant, and he didn't use the gun. I like it. This whole situation, I'm so disappointed in the Indiana court system right now. The gun either fires more than one shot automatically without reloading, or it does not, the opinion reads. Thus, the statute sufficiently provided notice to York that the gun was a machine gun. York previously argued to dismiss his machine gun possession charge, arguing Indiana's law at the time of his arrest did not prohibit devices that have been adapted or converted by accessories. 
If the Glock switch was removed, he argued, the pistol would fire semi-automatically and not be a machine gun. The appeals court disagreed, saying the intent behind Indiana's law focuses on what the gun can do, which in this case meant shoot automatically more than one shot without manual reloading. The ruling will provide future guidance for how prosecutors can proceed with cases when a defendant is accused of having the illegal accessories referred to by police as machine gun conversion devices. In 2020, we began implementing an aggressive prosecutorial strategy against individuals who possess switch devices because of the danger they pose to our community. We appreciate the court's reasoning and decision, which affirms the Marion County Prosecutor's Office's position that a switch device is a machine gun under Indiana law. On April 20th, Governor Holcomb signed House Bill 1365, which immediately expanded the state's definition of what a machine gun is, to include devices such as Glock switches. So, mind you, I just want you guys to think about this for a moment. Oh, well, anyway, I'm not even going to go into it because it's super frustrating. I might do a whole different video on this. Um, The court's ruling came a little more than two weeks after Holcomb's signing. It will be interesting to see if this one is appealed at a higher level. The National Association of Government Employees filed a lawsuit to block enforcement of a law that sets the nation's debt limit, arguing it is unconstitutional as a political divide over raising the borrowing cap comes to a head. The lawsuit contends that if the debt limit is reached, Biden and Secretary Janet Yellen would be forced to decide which payments to prioritize, violating the separation of powers by taking over Congress's spending authority. The debt limit statute is unconstitutional because it puts the president in a quandary to exercise discretion to continue borrowing to pay for the programs which Congress has heretofore duly authorized, and for which Congress has appropriated funds, or to stop borrowing and determine which of these programs the president, and not Congress, will suspend, curtail, or cancel altogether, the complaint states. Yellen has said the U.S. could default on its debt as early as June 1st if the borrowing limit is not raised. She also threatened that certain uh, programs would not be paid for selectively by the president. Her statements publicly clearly indicate that this is the the truth, what this case is bringing against them. Biden will meet with uh, McCarthy and three other top congressional leaders today at the White House to discuss the debt ceiling, but a deal still appears very far off. NAGE represents nearly 75,000 federal employees and asserts that its members are at imminent risk of layoff or furlough once the limit is reached. Unless and until the debt limit statute is amended or revised to allow Congress to determine the priority of payments among specific programs once the limit is reached. Members of plaintiff NAGE will suffer irreparable injury from layoffs, furloughs, and loss of employment that are taken without any legitimate authority by the president. The group wrote in its complaint, I mentioned this on yesterday's show, but the flirtation and dodging with regards to the 14th Amendment would make me pretty nervous if I was a federal employee as well. And I do, though, think that the irony is a bit much that as the country has deteriorated over the course of the last three years, that 
as a working member of the government, that would just be, ugh, it would be unheard of for a layoff or a furlough or loss of employment. You can't, you can't make me stop working. Uh, versus the private sector where it's just like, oh, your job's gone. Peace out, homie. <laughs> uh, that is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. It has been a pleasure coming to talk to you today. And please go visit uh, the PSA links that are in the show description. Also, if you guys don't mind, if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend or a family member. Uh, go out and do a, a review, like five stars, likes, or whatever. Um, that really helps as far as the algorithm for podcasts is concerned. I'd really like to take over the daily news site. So um, that is next on my list. As I hit 10,000 followers on Twitter yesterday, a huge celebratory moment. It's going to be a great Liberty Happy Hour on Friday night. We're going we're gonna to celebrate uh, the development. Anyway. That's it for you guys. You take care and have a wonderful Tuesday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.